Welcome to Goat Valley Campgrounds. Looking for a place to escape your busy life and reconnect with nature? Goat Valley Campgrounds features 300 acres of quiet forest and peaceful scenery for you to enjoy. Come meet Kate. She runs the place like your parents before her. We know you'll enjoy your stay as long as you behave yourself and follow the rules. Your survival depends on it. The No Sleep Podcast presents Goat Valley Campgrounds by Bonnie Quinn. Chapter 3 Have you ever walked by an abandoned house and wondered what was inside? Perhaps some of you even entered one. You were lucky. Not everyone comes out. We have our share of these rundown buildings. The local economy is, well, lacking. Family-owned stores fail. Barns fall into disuse. Something happens to the previous occupants of a farmhouse and no one's willing to move in, leaving it for the wind and the weeds to claim desolate places, haunted by failed ambitions. Every town has them, and they appear in the oddest places, don't they? Almost like they're placed where they want to be found. We're drawn to the places we fear. It's an odd paradox of humanity. We shun these broken and battered things, knowing in our hearts that they're not always empty, that their hollow shells may host more than just dust and mold. Yet they eat at the edges of our minds. They consume our imaginations until someone succumbs and walks inside. Not all of them come out. My name is Kate. This is Goat Valley Campgrounds. The sheriff vanished six years ago. It was during the early spring when the nights were still cold, and we only got the dedicated campers that enjoy that sort of weather. Which is a shame. The campground is pleasant during the early spring. The trees are luminescent in the sunlight, their leaves glow gold, and the spirits of the forest and field are beginning to stir. The queen of spring and fertility might even pass through, and we leave out offerings, just in case she graces our campground. It's probably the safest part of the year. Provided it isn't the week of Pentecost. You should strongly consider visiting us in the spring. Just check the rating on your sleeping bag first. I don't want to get panicked phone calls about rule number 19 at 3 in the morning just because you didn't pack appropriately for the weather. Rule number 19, for the record, states, While it can get cold at night, you should not see frost forming inside your tent. If you are woken by the cold and see frost, call the camp emergency number. Stay calm and stay in your tent. We'll come get you. Also, don't forget about rule number 16. Don't eat food you find sitting out around the campsite. It's not yours. And worse, it might be an offering and you will offend whoever it is intended for. There's at least one culture that I know of where the goddess of spring and fertility is also the goddess of fire. And while no one wants to die, you especially don't want to die that way. Anyway, six years ago, we had some campers that had clearly not read the list of rules, or maybe they did and thought they were just some kind of joke. 
because they broke rule number three. Don't follow the lights. I can't believe I even have to say this one. Don't follow the lights. They wound up exiting the campsite without anything bad happening to them, at which point they lost sight of the lights because they were no longer on old land. They were on a road. This is when they called the camp emergency line, as they realized they were lost and weren't wanting to try to figure out the way back so late at night, not when they were on a road and someone could easily come and pick them up. Uh, hello? Is this Goat Valley Campgrounds? (sighs) It is. What's the problem? I'm accustomed to being woken up with emergencies, so I was able to go from being sound asleep to fully coherent in a matter of seconds. We're, uh, lost. We left the campground road, and now we're not sure how to get back to our camp. (sighs) Did you follow the lights? Yes. I told you not to follow the lights. First off, is there anything unusual near you? Patches of ice, the sound of someone begging for help, or even just a strange sense of unease? No, no, nothing like that. We're just lost. We're near the road. Like a normal road. One for cars. Not the campground roads. Huh? You're not on the campground land then? That's odd. Okay, stay where you're at. I'll make a lap around the campground and I should see you if you stay in one place. Seriously, don't go wandering around. You got lucky this time. Don't push it. The lights always take people to danger. In the past, they've led campers to the thing in the dark as it roamed the campground or tricked them into approaching the lady in chains, or simply brought them up around my house near dawn when the beast arrives. It isn't adverse to a quick snack before carrying off the little girl. It struck me as odd that the lights would take them off the campground. There's a lake nearby on a neighbor's land, but that's a bit of a hike to get to, and they'd see the lights of the landowner's house before blundering into the water and encountering any of the creatures it shelters. What was so dangerous that the lights would forego all other threats on my land and lead them there. I was uneasy as I put on some jeans and my shoes and got my car keys. Dawn was a long way off, so I estimated that I'd be able to find them and return them to their campsite and still have time to return to the house before the beast arrived. The little girl skipped alongside the car as I eased it out of the garage and down the driveway. But she was also still sobbing while skipping, so it was a bit unnerving. Nothing about this felt right. Something had come to my campground. It sat on the outskirts, waiting for us, like a spider in its web. It started raining as I was pulling through the gate and onto the road that led out of the campgrounds. Inwardly, I groaned. The forecast had said only a 40% chance, but it seemed we'd gotten unlucky, for the rain quickly escalated into a downpour covering my windshield in a sheet of water as I pulled out onto the road that wound along the west side of the campgrounds. At least they weren't on campground land, I thought. The rain can be dangerous for people caught out in it. But fortunately, people don't go on out in the rain because, well, rain. They stay under shelter and thus stay safe, and the only emergencies we have to respond to is if someone's tent collapses. I covered the west side of the campsite and was almost to the south road when the lost campers called me back. Sorry, I know you told us to stay put, but it's raining and we're wet and cold. And it's almost 2 a.m. and I want to be back in my bed asleep, but here we are with you making life difficult for me. Where did you go? 
We took shelter on the front porch of the house. It wasn't far. There's no lights in sight, and no one answered when we knocked. So we're just going to stay on the porch until we see your car. The house is visible from the road. It should be fine, right? Fine. But you better come running when you see my headlights and stay on the phone with me. I couldn't shake the bad feeling I had. I drove slowly across the south side and then up the east. And then I was at the northern border. See anything yet? Nothing. No cars have come by at all. I thought about it a moment, trying to place where they were. Are there any landmarks? You should have seen me by now. No, it's just an open field and intermittent trees all around us. The house is the only building in sight. The campsite borders a major road to the south and some fields and houses to the east and west. The north is just empty land. They'd come out the north. They were on the ass end of nowhere and there shouldn't be any houses out there. I didn't know whose front porch they were standing on. You need to leave the porch. Go wait by the road, now. Oh, the door opened. I guess someone is home. My family doesn't deal with things that exist outside the campground boundaries. It's not because we can't or won't, but because they're a different sort of threat. One that cannot be contained and endangers everyone in the area. So I called the sheriff. Then I turned onto the north road and drove slowly, peering through the dark and the rain, straining to see a house nestled in among the trees. I drove past it twice, and finally, on the third pass, I saw it. A small wood building was nestled not far from the road, at the base of a slight slope. The porch covered half the front of the house, and the windows were vacant and dark. No one stood outside. No flashlight beams illuminated the interior. I pulled halfway off the road, as far as I could with the nearly non-existent shoulder. I waited in my car until the sheriff arrived, and I was deeply relieved to see his headlights appear in my rearview mirror. Waiting in the dark in the rain like that, with the house hunched ominously in the corner of my vision, while I kept a careful watch on the trees to either side of the road. It was a little stressful, to say the least. At one point, a dead branch had fallen from a tree, and it felt like my heart was still hammering in my chest, even as I got out of the car to go greet the sheriff. That house shouldn't be here. He held out his umbrella so I could duck under it. Yeah, no shit. Two of my campers followed the lights. They dumped them off around here and their phone disconnected after they took shelter on that porch. I've called for backup. We can wait until they get here and then sweep the house to find the bodies. What do you think? <sighs> Should be okay. The natural things tend to scurry off into the night when humans show up in mass. Whenever I grab them, we'll probably be gone by the time we break down that front door. <sighs> Too bad about the rain. Otherwise, we could just set the house on fire and call it a day. This is why I liked the old sheriff. He took care of things. While I relied on rituals and appeasements, he believed in assault rifles and gasoline. And sure, gunfire isn't going to kill everything. We're most things, if we're being honest. But nothing, human or otherwise, likes being shot. It'd knock a lot of things down, and after that, well, that's what the gasoline is for. Fire is more effective than bullets we'll still need to burn it. This house isn't supposed to be here. Can always start the fire from the inside. It'll burn up the support beams and collapse the roof. Good plan. 
But let's make sure to get the bodies out first. It'll be nice to send something home to their families. But we don't get to do that very often. Yeah, sure. Sounds great. Something was moving inside the house. Look. I tapped the sheriff on the elbow and pointed. He fell silent and then pressed the handle of the umbrella into my palms. He moved towards the house, walking slowly, his hand falling to unclip his pistol in the holster. I followed just behind him, glancing back and forth to watch our flanks. Not that it would have done a lot of good. Have you been out in the country at night? I'm used to the darkness, but I think people forget how bright the cities and suburbs are. Out here, in the rain, it's like the world ends outside the narrow beam of a flashlight. The sheriff paused just short of the porch. He shone the flashlight into the window and the house swallowed the light up, presenting us with an inky void and nothing more. I wondered if perhaps the windows were covered on the inside. A body slammed against the window. I screamed and fell backwards, slipping on the mud and falling, landing hard on my ass in a puddle. The umbrella bounced away and the cold rain shocked the panic out of me and I stared up at the house in naked horror as a young man stared back at me. His eyes were wide, the whites vivid in the light of the sheriff's flashlight, his skin pale where his palms pressed against the pane of glass. His mouth was open. He was screaming something, desperately yelling directly at us, his gaze locked onto my face. But I couldn't hear anything except for the roar of the rain. Something jerked him backwards. He flew away from us, his hands outstretched towards the window, his mouth open in a shriek, his eyes still fixed on me in mindless desperation. The darkness inside swallowed him, like he vanished behind a cloud, and the interior was an empty void once more. The sheriff didn't hesitate. He stripped off his rain jacket, wrapped it around his fist a couple times, and then punched the fucking window in. He knocked the glass away and fumbled with the pane, unlocking it and sliding it up. What are you doing? Stop! We don't have backup yet! They're not going to get here in time. It never works out that way. We're always too late. But no, don't! My pleading did nothing to stop him. He put a leg through and eased the rest of his body into that house, and the darkness swallowed him up. No, 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 no. What, what the hell do I do?! There was no way I was following the sheriff inside. I can't even claim that I was doing the sensible thing and waiting to tell the backup what the situation was, because I knew in my heart that the sheriff was right. These entities, all of them, the things on our campground and the things that hunt elsewhere, never let numbers get the better of them. They slip away well before help arrives, and yes, this was a house we're talking about, but it had somehow gotten here where there had been no house before, and I didn't doubt that whatever was inside would whisk its lair away before it could be stormed by angry men with guns and cans of gasoline. These things only yielded up the dead, and only on their terms. So if I'm being honest, I didn't go after the sheriff, because I was afraid. And I know there was nothing I could have done at any point to save him, but I didn't even try. And logically, I know, I would have been lost too if I'd attempted it, but I can't help but hate myself for it. The next part is hard to talk about. The front door was flung open. 
I saw the sheriff and he seemed larger. His eyes shone like an animal's in the light of my flashlight and his frame filled the doorway. I think this is just my imagination. Remembering him as something powerful, something indomitable. I wish it were so. He was just a man caught in the teeth of something terrible. Yet despite the odds, he had the young man with him. One fist was gripped tight on the back of the man's jacket and he was hauling him along, the poor boy almost too terrified to move. Kate, here, keep him safe. And he threw him forwards. The man stumbled on the steps of the porch and he fell into the mud and I moved to help him. It's okay, I'm here, I got you. You're gonna be fine. I'll be back with the other one. And the sheriff, he went back inside. I dragged the man away from the house. There was something in the darkness. It it spoke to me. It kept asking me things. It was demanding something from us. I don't remember. I just kept going. Yes, yes, I'm sure it was awful, but please shut up. Susan, my girlfriend, she's still in there. Where is she? I need to go get her. Well, oh no, you're not going anywhere. I've already got one valiant idiot to deal with. You stay put right there. <sighs> My backseat is going to be soaked. Are are you going to be able to save her? Oh, sure. We're great at that around here. He nodded at me, pale and shivering. And I shut the door on him and returned to stand vigil at the house, waiting for the sheriff's return. He'd gotten one of them out, and because of this, I allowed myself a faint glimmer of hope. The door swung slowly back and forth in the wind. I peered into the darkness that my flashlight could not breach, waiting. And the sheriff emerged for a second time, both hands around a woman. She was screaming hysterically and fighting, thrashing and kicking at her rescuer. No, you can't! Let me go! Let me go! It needs me! It still needs me! Kate! Uh, A little helpful in this one? He had her in a bear hug and was literally carrying her from the building. I stepped forward to the very edge of the porch and reached out a hand to grab her from him. I should be in bed right now, but no. My hand closed over her wrist just as the darkness boiled out of the house. It was like watching a pot overflow. Thick bubbles of inky blackness churned out of the doorframe and around the sheriff enveloping him in an instant. I saw his arms outstretched, shoving the woman forwards to where I stood waiting. I pulled, but the darkness surged forward, thick pustules rolling over the woman as well, and there was a moment of pressure as it pulled back towards the house, and I dug my heels into the mud, felt myself slipping. I considered letting go, lest I be pulled in too, and then it released her. I fell backwards, stumbling wildly, and I hit the ground for a second time that night, and I stayed there, sitting in a puddle and staring at the wrist still clutched in my fingers. A wrist, an elbow, a shoulder, and part of a ribcage, and nothing more. The house was gone, and with it, the sheriff and the rest of the woman. No! No! Damn it! Damn it!
We claimed that the woman had an accident in the rain, fell and broke her neck and died in the woods or something. There's wild animals about, and that was why we could only recover part of the body. That's the excuse we gave. The young man, we said, was separated from her while lost, and we recovered him. A little hypothermic, but no serious injuries. I lost track of what happened to him after he was released from the hospital. He came back to our town, though, many years later. The police found him dead after a local called in a car crash. We'd have assumed it was a suicide if it weren't for the dashboard camera that I suspect he'd gotten specifically to provide evidence of what he was seeing. He'd driven off the road in an attempt to ram the house with his car. The house vanished before he hit it, and he tried to turn but couldn't. Not before he smashed into a particularly stout tree. The police let me see the video of the camera and then destroyed it. You see, the house is still around. People see it every now and then. Never for long. Only for a handful of seconds, perhaps a minute or two. Long enough to get a second look, sometimes a third. Just enough to confirm that it's that tiny wooden house with the porch and the black windows. The door hangs open, barely a foot. It never appears in the same place twice. At least, not in the reports I've gathered. I've marked them on a map I keep folded in my desk. The sheriff is still alive. The woman is not. There was half of her lung in the piece the darkness left behind after it severed her out of my grasp. She couldn't have survived that. But the sheriff, the lady with extra eyes, gave me a candle not long after he vanished. She told me to light it, and when it went out, then I would know that he was dead. I don't think she was trying to console me. It sits in my bedroom on top of my dresser. It's been burning for six years now. I feel the weight of my guilt every time I look at it, pressing on my shoulders. And I hear the rain and see that darkness bubbling out of the house and the sheriff's outstretched hands shoving the woman to safety in a last, futile gesture. He shouldn't have gone back in. One would have been enough. Or perhaps I shouldn't have been so frightened. Perhaps I should have stepped up on that porch, been closer, had better footing and been able to wrench her free before it was too late, and then his sacrifice wouldn't have been in vain. I think it's more likely that I would have been swallowed up by the house as well. I've dealt with monsters and demons, but I don't think that made me particularly brave. I wasn't like the old sheriff. I couldn't throw myself into the teeth of the unknown for the sake of a stranger. I wrote my rules, and I cleaned up the mess when someone doesn't follow them. But I wasn't there, fighting for my campers that go astray. I wasn't the one braving whatever lay inside the vanishing house. <sighs> and at that time, I thought I never would. Goat Valley Campgrounds was written and adapted for audio by Bonnie Quinn. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Starring Lindsay Russo as Kate, Jesse Cornett as the former sheriff, Andrew Tate as one of the campers, and Mary Murphy as another camper. 
Join us next week for Chapter 4 of Goat Valley Campgrounds. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the express written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc. The copyright for Goat Valley Campgrounds is held by Bonnie Quinn.